0: Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Len Testa, and this is our show for the week of September 30th, 2019. On the show today, news, listener questions, and some new Disney surveys are out. And Jim gives us the history of the greatest nighttime spectacular in any Disney theme park, Illuminations, plus a sneak peek at the new Epcot Forever show. And speaking of Jim, let's bring in the man who points out that we've all got one hand that knows how to do everything, And another hand, they can't even hold a pencil. It's Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going? I've always envied the
1: ambidextrous. The closest I've ever come to that is I'm ambidesertious, which means if I'm at a crowded party, I can come back from the buffet holding two plates of dessert. That's a talent. That's a talent. It's a valuable (laughs) skill to have at a crowded family party. Speaking of crowded events, I just want to give a quick shout out to Aaron Del Prince, And the folks behind the Indie Disney meet, which was held in Hamilton at Hamilton County's 4-H Fairgrounds in Noblesville, Indiana, back on Saturday the 21st. They had a huge turnout at this year's event. You and I have done this one previously, Len. And they raised over $55,000 for Give Kids the World Village in Kissimmee, Florida.
0: So kudos to Aaron and his crew. That's fantastic. Good job, Aaron. Yep. All right, Jim, let's do a quick shout out to subscribers over at DisneyDish.BandCamp.com. Fun fact, Jim, and we all know it's true. Some of the screams you hear on rides like Expedition Everest and Tower of Terror are pre-recorded and piped in. But did you know that the screams you hear are the voices of new subscribers, Disney Daydreamin', Josh, and T. Colburn, and longtime subscribers A. Jodo, Susan2200, and UGA Chris. So apparently, Susan got the job when someone from Disney heard her react to stepping on a Lego at the Lego store in Disney Springs. So, the moral of the story, Jim, you'll never know where you'll be when show business calls. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) All right, let's do the news, Jim. Mm -hmm. Jim, the Disney Dish News is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Disney Dish Podcast. For a worry-free travel experience every time, book online at storybookdestinations.com. Jim, I've ridden the Skyliner. Ooh. And let me say, Jim, that for over a year, I've mentioned on this show that the Skyliner looks to be one of the best things Disney has done in years, that it was innovative, that it was in the spirit of classic Disney attractions, and that Walt would approve. And let me also say, Jim, that I am man enough to admit when I'm wrong. (laughs) It happens sometimes. This is not one of those times, because the Skyliner is freaking awesome. It is one of the best things Disney's done in years, and I love it, Jim. I love it when it works. It hasn't officially opened at this point, has it? Or? So, no, I got a preview of it. It opens—actually, well, it uh, it will have opened by the time the show goes live, so it will have opened on the 29th. Mm-hmm. Um, I boarded at Hollywood Studios, mm-hmm. so just for some visuals in case people want to go ride this— and they're intimidated by long lines. The line stretched all the way through the inner queue, all the way uh, down around the building, and then past the bathrooms by the bus stations. And I boarded in maybe 10 minutes. So it might look like a really long line. It moves very, very fast. And so we went immediately from there to Caribbean Beach. And it's it's not the most scenic of the uh, of the the routes. I think Caribbean beach to Epcot is actually the most scenic, but we'll get to that. But still you you it moves very fast. I did it like around six thirty pm. and it was about ninety degrees outside, but the airflow in it when it was moving, mm-hmm. absolutely fine. I mean, it, it is a it is an almost constant breeze mm-hmm. when it's moving and it is moving very, very fast. So the concerns that we had about being cool while it's moving, were probably unfounded. I, plenty of airflow, not only uh, from the top, but airflow comes in from the bottom as well. So air is circulating. One of the conceits
1: of this transportation system being brought to Walt Disney World is this resort needs its own cable cars. Yep. From having watched some of the onboard videos, audios, that sort of thing, it mm-hmm. looks like it's delivering the goods there. But you having ridden it, what's your take on? It? I mean, you've been to San Francisco, you've ridden the cable cars,
0: the, the, the equivalent, or it's a completely new, uh, novel form of transportation. I mean, it's, a, it's not really novel because it exists in the other parts of the world, but for Central Florida and for theme parks, mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's a game changer. And the thing that I, the thing that I realized. As I was, we were going over Buena Vista Drive at mm-hmm. one point, which you know is, is pretty pretty busy, right? I mean, it connects mm-hmm. everything from you know the uh, parts of the Animal Kingdom Resort area all the way through to Disney Springs, so it's it's a major thoroughfare. Mm-hmm. And the thing that I observed as I was as we were sort of gliding along it was that the people in Disney transportation must have looked at the problem of how do we move people more efficiently on on, the, you know, on these roads? Given the roads that we have, right? And the transportation network that we have, these roads and these buses and these bridges and things like that. How do we move people more efficiently from point A to point B? And somewhere, somebody must have got the idea not to use roads at all, mm-hmm. but to build the Skyliner. And that epiphany, I would have loved to have been in that office Mm-hmm. When that happened, because it was a stroke of genius. Also must have been one hell of a pitch because think about Oh, it's it's expensive, no doubt. Two
1: years of construction and and the disruption at resorts like Art of Animation and Pop Century and yeah. what they had to do to reconfigure the, the parking area and the entrance structure for at the studios to handle this likewise of uh, the International Gateway at Epcot. So, oh, yeah. W- but it's just nice to, to hear from what you're saying here. It looks like the gamble has paid off. So
0: Yeah, so we um, so we did Hollywood Studios to Caribbean Beach. I think it took a couple of minutes, maybe four, and we moved it a pretty city clip. Got to Caribbean Beach, uh, and from there you can go on to Art of Animation or through the Riviera to, to Epcot. So we decided to go to uh, Art of Animation and Pop because we heard that the approach over the water was very scenic, and, and truly it is. The it only it only took a few minutes uh, to to get there. Mm-hmm. As you come in, you're you're basically splitting the difference between pop on your left mm-hmm. and animation on your right. And we were getting there right sort of as the sun was starting to set, so mm-hmm. sort of the golden hour for lighting, and it looked beautiful. Let me tell you, it's actually even better. We we immediately got off and flipped around and walked back, and the, and the the load out is even better because you you can see the uh, slightly different perspective on the buildings, but the resorts look great. We went back to Caribbean Beach and then we did Caribbean Beach through the Riviera to Epcot. And this is my favorite segment because you're going over the Caribbean Beach buildings and they they looked beautiful. I mean, if you're going in the morning or you're going uh, in the evening as the sun is setting, you know, sort of like when the sun is at the right angle, mm-hmm. it's going to look gorgeous. In fact, I was – as we were going over Caribbean Beach, we sort of passed over, I guess, the food court area. Mm-hmm. And you, so you could smell the food. The lighting looked good. We were up above it in a sort of a novel transportation thing, and I'm like, you know what? I, I should really stay at Caribbean Beach more. I had already sold myself on the rooms just because I was on the Skylander and having such a good time on it. Oh it was, uh, it was fantastic. Yeah, it was really good.
1: That's the first moderate, and and the notion that you they've somehow managed to make a resort. To, you know what? Phase one opened in '88. That suddenly yeah.
0: becomes new and exciting again. I mean, wow! This is a game changer. So the one thing I will say, um, mm-hmm. and again, this is pre-opening, so they had some um, probably some operational issues to uh, to get through. Mm-hmm. It stopped a lot. Mm-hmm. There are times when it, it stopped. It stopped completely. Like mm-hmm. we were over coming back from Epcot, we stopped over Buena Vista Drive for we stopped, and then we sort of crawled at maybe like a foot a second mm-hmm. for I would say probably five or ten minutes at various points. Um, in there. so that took what you know, what should have been like a six or seven minute trip, it made it twenty. Um, mm-hmm. Still, I think it was faster than the bus. I can see where if it stops in the you know at noon in July, mm-hmm. um, where the it could get kind of warm on there. Um, also, the uh, the seats are uh, wood planks. Mm-hmm. After about twenty minutes, you get you get tired of them. Mm-hmm. The other thing was the uh, we also experienced what happens when the ride breaks down. So when the uh, when the scooter breaks down, so we we got off it caribbean beach trying to get back to the studios because that's where i parked mm-hmm. and the entire line was down so they actually had buses pulled up at caribbean beach to take people over to the studios but the line stretched from the bus drop-off uh, so there's there's an internal bus drop-off at caribbean beach now for jamaica but the line went all the way back up the entrance ramp to the skyliner and then around for a bit and I'm like, there's no way we're going to get on a, a bus anytime soon. So, we actually took the Skyliner back to Epcot and then walked to the studios, hmm. which I think was the fastest option. So, at least Disney knew that that was, might happen and they had they had buses ready for it. I don't know if I mentioned this already, but uh, the Riviera station is going to be open hmm. starting yesterday, starting Sunday, for people who are staying like a, at Aruba in Caribbean Beach. So, rather than having to take the internal bus... To Jamaica, which is mm-hmm. where the Caribbean Beach Station is, you can use the Riviera Station as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, overall, when it works, looks great. I hope they get the operational issues mm-hmm. um, rolled out. I'll be trying it this week during the rollout. It looks fantastic. There's new Skyliner merchandise. They've got um, their bathrooms available at each of the, st- at the at the major stations. So, like Caribbean Beach has one, obviously EPCOT has one right in nearby as well. But coming into EPCOT looked great, especially mm-hmm. at night. You can smell the food from the restaurants. Sort of as you pass by, it's oh, it's glorious. Oh, very cool. Cannot wait to try this. Yeah, I really liked it a lot. So mm-hmm. that was uh, that was the big news for the week. Uh, a couple of other things happened. Uh, Disney announced that a new uh, theater mm-hmm. is opening in Hollywood Studios in the spring of 2020. It's called the Mickey Shorts Theater. Disney says that it'll be located in the former Sounds Dangerous building, which currently shows the Star Wars Path of the Jedi. Movies. This is, I like guess, the, uh, the the Jedi training over at Indiana Jones. Mm-hmm. So, Jim, this is a this is a, a, a really reused building okay. in terms God, of yeah. the studios, right? Yeah, It's been
1: a facility that's been used since Disney Hollywood Studios opened back in May of 1989. But if you look over the history of the different shows, it just sort of reflects whatever the agenda de jour of the Walt Disney, whatever they were pushing – I mean, obviously, when MGM first opened back in 89, one of the real holes that they had in the lineup is that they didn't have any, uh, you know, monster-based content. Universal's got its monsters, and people make horror movies, so in order to have their studio theme park feature at some sort of horror-based thing, this is where the Monster Sound Show debuted with Chevy Chase and Martin Short. That gets changed out in June of 97, for the one Saturday morning show, and this was when ABC had I launched. I don't
0: remember this at all. Oh,
1: it was wonderful. They had this this entire morning where they, they managed to link all of the shows together with great bumpers and things like Manny the Uncanny. And then, of course, you know, come 99, the Drew Carey show is a hit on ABC, and lucky for them, Drew Carey is also a crazy Disney fan. I may have told you the story about my sister-in-law who kept bumping into Drew Carey, you know, on a family vacation and how Drew at one point came up to her and hassled her in the park. And so they, you're stalking me. And it's like, <laughs> you know, <I> mean, sweet, <laughs> funny guy. But so that show gets up out of the ground and then Drew's show goes off the air mm-hmm. and they actually switch Sounds Dangerous. Over to a seasonal show, so it, it becomes sort of an entertainment spare tire. Something you know, if they have large crowds in the parks, they throw open. Right, and didn't they? Didn't they use the the theater for uh, Christmas shows too? Seasonal Christmas shows? They did. In yeah. fact, that was honestly one of my favorite things when they brought back the improv show from Pleasure Island.
0: Oh yeah, that was hysterical.
1: Then it became more valuable to the company, given how popular. The Jedi Training Academy show was—they shut down the theater and and mm-hmm. used the podium out front to you know sign up you know little kids for Jedi Training Academy—and then of yep. course Disney buys Lucasfilm, and out ahead of the very first Star Wars film that Disney makes, uh, The Force Awakens, they mm-hmm. throw the Path of the Jedi thing in, and now here it is—it's it, going to support the notion that you know particularly with the Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway attraction yep. coming in sort of doing a one-two punch because if you look at the, the logo, Mickey's a big presence or supposed to be a big presence in this park. So yeah. between Runaway Railway and the Shortsby having their own dedicated theater, there's no getting around the mouse. So
0: Yeah, I think it'll, uh, it'll support the Runaway Railway ride mm-hmm. really well. And for the people who either uh, haven't seen the new cartoons or need to familiarize themso- themselves with them before they go on Runaway Railway, uh, it'll be a good... Place to do that. Plus, it's, it'll be air conditioned. You get to sit down. I'm, I'm assuming, mm-hmm. and the the studios needs more attractions in general.
1: So this oh, is no, no, no I, doubt, no doubt. Yeah. But it's just it's going to be interesting. You know, in five years' timeline, what other corporate agenda needs to be served and will wind up in this theater? You know, just right. so Watch the space. Yeah, we'll,
0: so. we'll see. All right, Jim. Uh, some other news. Uh, Disney's expanded its plant based menu items. So they, uh, I think the. The press release from Disney said that uh, by the beginning of next year, they'll have more than 400 plant-based menu items uh, are available around the parks and resorts. They gave a couple of examples of new plant-based dishes. One of them is uh, steamed Asian dumplings at La Uh I guess this is honoring Vancouver. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, there we go. Vegetarian Asian dumplings is a staple in our house, actually. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm looking forward to this. The other one that I wanted to, uh, to call out – And I think I've said this before on the show, but the tofu bowl Mm -hmm. at Satouli Canteen is one of the best options that you can get there. So I said that even before Disney uh, announced the uh, the plant-based menu stuff, but they're doing a a new twist on it now. It's chili-spiced crispy fried tofu seasoned with chili spice and topped with a crunchy vegetable slaw, boba balls, and your choice of base and sauce. So this looks fantastic as well. Mm. super excited to see all of this happening Chili spice crispy fried tofu bowl yeah so wow. the the way that the way that I like in the uh, the, the crispy fried tofu is it's it's like salad croutons mm. Mm-hmm. Right, That's what they taste like. Uh, not not quite as crunchy, but mm-hmm. but pretty darn close in terms of consistency. So that's good. Jungle Navigation uh, Company is getting a, a noodle salad. Mm-hmm. Docking Bay 7 over at the studios is getting uh, plant-based kefta, which I've had. I think we've talked about this on the show too. It's really good. This is one of the best things at the uh, Galaxy's Edge. And I don't know why they're calling it new because I don't think it's new. Mm-hmm. But it's plant-based kefta, which is like donor kebab, herb amas, and tomato, cucumber, relish, and pita. So fantastic options there. If you want desserts. There's a plant-based cashew cheesecake over at California Grill. Twist my arm. I will have to go sample it. Mm, okay. By the way, Jim, speaking of uh, um, Galaxy's Edge, I was walking around yesterday, uh, and you know Disney's doing sort of an all-out media blitz for Galaxy's Edge. They've got a special uh, that aired yesterday, mm-hmm. uh, and I guess they're getting ready for it with um, Neil Patrick Harris, and all this week, or all last week, uh, Good Morning America – segments on them, but basically they're pushing it galaxy's edge like on every in every possible media channel right
1: and some of them len are so ham-handed i don't know if you saw what they did on various abc sitcoms but they, they literally sort of they're all made their premiere in the past week and mm-hmm. there were at least five of them that had a galaxy's edge moment where they inserted it into the narrative but in an artificial way again for example on Blackish there was a, a character who announced they were getting married. Another character came in and it was like to the effect of well, my gift is I bought them tickets to Disneyland so they can go see Galaxy's Edge, you know, over there but you know, and they should get some blue milk and, and then on like the Goldbergs, which is set in the 1980s, the family is literally doing sort of a parody of John Hughes' vacation. They're going to take the car trip out to California, and go to Disneyland. And one of the sons is enthusing because it's like the show set in the 1980s. Like, oh, my God, that Star Tours ride opened up. And it's like, wow, that's going to be great. But by my little boy heart, I can dream about someday that there'll be a whole land that's built around Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's, that's just painful to listen to, Jim.
1: <laughs> I think it's Derek Bergen who pointed out that, you know, in a couple of years, this isn't going to look good. But let's be honest, this doesn't look good now.
0: <laughs> I will tell you, Jim, what looked good. Yeah. And that was uh, seeing Serena Williams on Millennium Falcon Smugglers Run in her tennis whites with a tennis racket, which apparently happened uh, – not apparently. It did happen uh, last week. So one of our, oh. uh, one of our statisticians, Steve, mm-hmm. uh, was in the parks and uh, happened to see her boarding Millennium Falcon right ahead of uh, him. Uh, so I, I, I'm assuming that this is all part of the uh, the special that's going to air in a couple of days. We've okay. already aired once we did it, but yeah, Serena mm-hmm. Williams in Fulton's wardrobe, mm-hmm. a Millennium Falcon. Okay, good thing she didn't play water or uh, uh, polo because that would have been hard. All right, excuse me. You'll have to check your horse, Arjun. <laughs> right, let's do some uh, some listener questions. Mm-hmm. This one comes from loyal listener Ben, who writes: uh, Is Disney planning on offering a Galactic Nights special event at Hollywood Studios this year for the release of Rise of Skywalker? For the last several Star Wars movie premieres, they've hosted a special event uh, on the following Saturday evening at Hollywood Studios. For The Last Jedi, Disney announced the event on September 15th, but so far this year, nothing. So, Jim, do you know if they're going to do anything? Sadly, a lot of this depends on uh,
1: Rise of the Resistance, and basically, I know the studio approached them about doing, you know, this sort of thing, but the... California version of Rise of the Resistance doesn't open till January 17th. Mm-hmm. And the fear was that if we make people pay for an after-hours hard ticket to go into this park, the movie's just open and, yeah, we'll do cool stuff, but we're bringing people in and going, oh, by the way, this ride opens in three weeks. It's like, uh, that's just acres yeah. of bad publicity. So I, my understanding is they will be taking a pass on it. Given that Walt Disney World's version opens up on the fifth, this would be an mm-hmm. option for them. But especially going into the holiday season with all of the decorations that are, you know, once again going up in Toy Story Land and that sort of thing, I, I think it's just sort of like this is a bridge too far
0: this year. Yeah, maybe too many things at once. Yeah, that's, that's so, my that's what I suspect. So speaking of uh, Toy Story Land, I, uh, I entered Batu from Toy Story Land last week for mm. the first time ever because when I when I had gone on opening day, they were routing people out. Mm-hmm. through Toy Story Land. I got to say, that's a really nice entrance in. It's not as jarring as you would think, you know, mm-hmm. going from Toy Story Land into, into Galaxy's Edge. The transition's actually really well done. The mm-hmm. sound effects and the music make the transition very, very smooth.
1: And did you catch, much like Woody, that Buzz Lightyear actually has a few things that he says to guests as they wander in from that side? Or?
0: No, I didn't. Yeah. Uh, it, was kind of, uh, it was kind of noisy and I was hot and uh, I was actually talking to people too as I was okay. working I'll listen to that. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, Ben asks a second question. Uh, For our trip in December, we're staying at Beach Club Villas. What do you think will be the fastest way to get from our room to Hollywood Studios, the Friendship Boats or the Skyliner? So based on my experience at Epcot yesterday, I think it will probably be the Skyliner, assuming it's running. Mm -hmm. So definitely take a look at that. And Ben's follow-up question is, with the arrival of the Skyliner, is Disney anticipating that the restaurants and bars at the Boardwalk... So the and the Swan and Dolphin and the Yacht and Beach will see an increase in traffic now that guests staying elsewhere can access them so easily. So, uh, Jim, I actually had this exact thought mm-hmm. on the Skyliner last week, and that was that that Disney should put extra restaurants now mm-hmm. in each of these resorts because they're so easy to get to. Like you could do a, even a progressive dining
1: mm-hmm.
0: where you start off in one resort, like let's say Caribbean Beach, for appetizers gotcha. or drinks, and then you you go to the other places. For other courses? It's interesting you bring this up because
1: remember, just last week we had that other survey there where they're asking questions about creating mobile ordering at QuickServe and, and food mm-hmm. courts and the like. And supposedly, this is supposedly one of the considerations tied to the Skyliner the belief that people will be on the Skyliner and get as far as the station that's between Pop Century. And art of animation, and think you know, let's let's get off and do the food court at art of animation, and be able to it, it,
0: order. It's a great idea.
1: Yeah. yeah, you're in the sky. You're ordering your food. You step off the thing, and it comes to find
0: you. Oh, really? Yeah, that's that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, because then you would you would have to do uh, less walking. They do have uh, at Caribbean Beach a Joffrey's. Coffee stand with a, a special skyliner drink it somebody ordered it somebody in my group ordered it yesterday mm-hmm. uh, or when I rode and it was three dollars and eighty nine cents and so two two interesting observations one they have a special drink for the skyliner mm-hmm. which is kind of great but two the person who ordered it actually asked if that was the correct price because it was so cheap mm-hmm. three dollars and eighty nine cents <laughs> for for a drink like are we still in Walt Disney World like, uh, <laughs> shouldn't uh, this be six eighty nine or whatever uh, <laughs>
1: When you're in the test phase of a new transportation system, probably
0: not wise to get a beverage. You mentioned that. So tucked under one of the seats in every skyliner is an emergency kit. <laughs> and and in the emergency kit is a porta potty, like a portable camping porta potty. Wow. Just in case, Jim. Just oh, in case. Okay. Well okay. once again, Disney eye to the details. Okay, very cool. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. Here's an interesting uh, set of Disney survey questions from our good friend, Patty, who got this survey about her stay at a Walt Disney World resort. So there are many questions on them. These couple uh, stood out to me. Uh, during your recent stay at, I won't mention the resort, did you visit the Walt Disney World theme parks during extra magic hours? And the options for your response were, yes, we visited during morning extra magic hours. Yes, we visited during evening extra magic hours. Yes, we used both morning and evening extra magic hours. And then no, we didn't use any of the extra magic hours. And the the interesting thing to me here, Jim, is that the survey doesn't acknowledge that two of the four parks don't even have evening extra magic hours. So, I'm not sure in the tabulation of these responses mm-hmm. that that is going to be taken into consideration, right? The fact that the studios in the Animal Kingdom don't have evening extra magic hours is going to skew mm-hmm. that second response down, mm-hmm. right? I mean, somebody, somebody has to know that, right? You and I have talked about this before. It, it, it's always
1: – fascinating to me because Disney ever puts a survey out without there being a re, you know, why are they asking it's this
0: exactly what uh, why I mentioned these questions like to, to get at what they're trying to figure out here mm-hmm. Speaking of that the uh, the second question that Patty got was do you or does anyone in your traveling party have any of the following serious difficulty walking or climbing stairs serious vision difficulty serious hearing difficulty difficulty with speech or communicating verbally none of the above or prefer not to answer. So why is that in a survey?
1: There are the devices that, you know, for example, you know, for folks who have, you know, hearing loss or or difficulty hearing, there are Mm -hmm. uh,
0: the, what is it? AD accessible rooms, yeah.
1: That's it, exactly. So much of what's going on right now out ahead of the 50s is addressing the punch list. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. So what's the priority here? So... A survey like this and looking at the results coming back.
0: Oh, how many ADA accessible rooms will we need at, at yep. this resort? Okay. Yeah. Uh, okay, got it, got it, got it. All right, Jim, here's a question for you from our buddy Robert. Do you think there'll be resort-focused material on Disney Plus?
1: First of all, we have Leslie Iwerks' amazing Imagineering documentary, six-part. She's been working on the spheres. We're finally going to get this material. I have been hearing... That a number of Disney theme park history related things that used to show up on Vault Disney back in the mm-hmm. you know the Disney Channel days when from like two o'clock in the morning till five o'clock in the morning you get this vintage Disney stuff. A lot of that stuff has supposedly been remastered.
0: Yeah, I've heard the same thing too. There, there will be dedicated theme park stuff on this. Yeah,
1: the challenge is that they want you to renew they don't want somebody to come in and just do two three months and and that sort of thing so they're looking to line up themed events you know they'll be keying off of anniversaries at the park anniversaries of attractions but just be ready for the fact that yes you will see this material but not necessarily at launch a lot of folks i've been chatting with have warned me it's like anticipate for at least the first six months we're we're info gathering what are people actually downloading You know, we're just throwing a lot of stuff against the wall to see what people react to, and then we'll refine the schedule then.
0: I was uh, I was talking to uh, some people while I was on the Skyliner uh, mm-hmm. about, you know, what, what's going to be on Disney+. Plus. Mm-hmm. And their idea was this. You you go into the Disney archives, you pull a random film canister, and you play it. <laughs> it just, <laughs> just I, you know, whatever this is. Whatever it is, we're just going to show it. And people would watch it. Like, they'd have it on in the background all the time. I think Mm -hmm. it's a wonderful, wonderful idea.
1: There's a wheel-within-wheel plan. They were talking about if you're a fan of, say, Aladdin, you can see the film from 92. You can see the Will Smith film that just opened this summer.
0: Aladdin, you, action, yeah.
1: You're going to be able to see the or excuse me, the West End production of Aladdin which was just filmed uh, before it ended its run over there. And Aladdin the animated series and Aladdin mm-hmm. and the King of Thieves. I mean, they will literally be the Aladdin decision tree. It's like you've come to Disney's Aladdin. Which of the 35 choices here do you want? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a its own subchannel. I can't wait to see the recommendation algorithm for Disney Plus on that. Oh, Lord. All right, Jim, from Super Fabulous David, here's a question. Uh, actually, it's more of a comment. While listening to the Disney News podcast the other day, it suddenly occurred to me that Jim has the perfect voice for the father if the revamp of Carousel of Progress ever occurs. So, Jim – Get your uh, get your vocal chops <laughs> ready. We we may have to do our own version of Carousel of Progress. Right? Mm-hmm. We may have to do our own version.
1: I don't know if I could say the name G E that many times. <laughs> <laughs>
0: All
1: right, let me move this waffle maker so I can then nice. have room
0: for the the dishwasher. Mm-hmm. All right, another uh, listener uh, email from the always helpful Michael, who sent in screen caps of a really interesting Epcot survey. So it started off with your standard questions about age, hometown and what you definitely wanted to see at Epcot when you, when you got there. Here's where it gets interesting. The, the question after that is, before you arrived at Epcot, were there any specific attractions, shows, or experience that you were not interested in doing? <laughs> and then they list everything at Epcot. Jim, what's, what's going on there? We know
1: from Bob Cheek's presentation at the D23 Expo back in August, what's coming for the reinvention of, of EPCOT, the world of nature, world of discovery, you know, world celebration, that sort of thing. But we also mentioned that there is, in fact, a phase two coming. What's particularly fascinating about the survey that Michael
0: shared with us is mm-hmm.
1: the two pavilions that sort of bubbled up to the top?
0: And, yeah, and... so I wanted to get you to to that. Okay, so, so go ahead. Uh, so one of Michael's questions that he sent in was: previously, you noted that you did not visit any of the offerings at the Seas while at Epcot. Mm-hmm. Have you ever visited the Seas while on a prior visit? And the answers were: yes, I've visited; no, I've never visited; and I'm not sure. And then the question after that is: why didn't you visit the Seas? And the options were: there's not enough to do; other things were more important. The seas isn't interesting to me. I don't like aquariums, which is a sort of a – I would love to see this section of, of Americans who said I don't like aquariums. The offerings at the seas are mainly for young children. Mm-hmm. It's too time-consuming to get to the aquarium. I was unsure of the activities available or other. So a lot of questions about the seas, right? And you mentioned that there was one more pavilion. Mm-hmm. And, it's, uh, and those questions started with this. Please tell us how familiar you were with figment before writing Journey into Imagination. Never heard of him, heard of him, but didn't know much about him, knew a little bit about him, knew a lot about him. And then the following question after that, uh, how much do you personally like Figment? So it looks like, Jim, the two pavilions that they're focusing on, and this shouldn't be a surprise to anyone, mm-hmm. the seas in Imagination. Especially in regard to how well do you
1: personally know Figment is – think about it. We were in Vietnam together. <laughs> <laughs> My We are just days away now from Epcot forever, which Len, I'm going to
0: love to get your reaction on the show. I'm, I'm, I'm spoiler free going into this. I've only, I only know two pieces of information about it at this point. Okay. So I can't listen while you talk about it. Okay. All I'm <laughs> going
1: to say is this is going to redefine
0: the term exercise and nostalgia. I've heard from people that uh, again, without doing any spoilers, mm-hmm. that they're bringing back some absolute classics. For totally, it. I'm I'm super hyped for it.
1: Yeah, we've been told this show is short term show.
0: It starts October first. Wait, it, hold on. I'm, I'm air quoting "short term" as you say that. Okay. <laughs> yes.
1: Yes. Yes. Well, in the fine Disney tradition, it's supposed to only run six months, and that's what Disney is initially going to say. But mm-hmm. I've already been told by folks in entertainment. That they have been told, based on survey work, they're already planning for an extension that will run through September 30th of
0: 2020. Yeah, temporary, short-term, six months. What am I, a Swiss watchmaker?
1: (laughs) (laughs) What? Uh, On the other hand, they are going to hammer... The notion hard that you only have six months to see this, but they've already yeah. told the folks be ready for this to extend because again they they want to fill some hotel rooms they want yeah
0: people to come out. I'm going opening night. We're going to do a, do a full report on it. Cool, cool. Uh, we're going we're going to talk about this in our main segment too. So let's let's leave it for there. Okay. I do want to uh, just follow up uh, Michael's survey with a second survey that he got also around Epcot, and it's it's here's how the the survey began. I uh, would like to ask you about sponsorships. At Disney, please think about sponsorships as non-Disney companies partnering with Disney inside the theme parks. For example, sponsoring a ride, show, or experience, or serving their product in restaurants, or featuring their brand or product in merchandise shops. And the first question is, uh, during your most recent visit to Epcot, did you notice any sponsorships? Hmm. Michael answered yes. The question was, please list which companies, if any, you noticed during that visit. And he listed a few. Mm-hmm. And then based on that, they said, of the companies that you noticed, please pr- uh, describe the experience during which you noticed the company. So was it on a ride? Was it in a restaurant? And so on. And then this is my my favorite uh, set of uh, questions here. One, what companies would you like to have seen? And it's a free form text. Mm-hmm. And Michael answered Tesla, which I th- Absolutely, 100%. think that's mm-hmm. a great option. NASA, again, 100% behind this. Mm-hmm. Apple, 100% behind this. Mm-hmm. And Kodak. And I had to look to Jim to yeah. see whether Kodak was still an operating company. <laughs> we it was like, honestly my question. Is Kodak still in business? Question wow. mark. <laughs> Google. Question <Okay. laughs> mark. Yeah. And then, but the, interestingly after that, mm-hmm. Disney prompt prompted mm-hmm. Michael to say, from the list below, Select the companies that would have made your experience better if you had seen them during your visit to Epcot. And Apple was in it, Starbucks, Mm. Samsung, Amazon, Facebook, Instagram, Microsoft were in there. So uh, you know a a lot of the you know Fortune Fortune 50 companies there. And then uh, a follow up question about looking at the list below of all of the companies that do a sponsorship in Epcot. Which ones did you uh, did you notice? So you have the option there to say it. And then after that, there's a if you answered any of them. Then there's a very detailed set of questions about whether you ever used products from these companies and then how you feel about the individual company. So for example, if you said, yes, I noticed Chevrolet at Test Track, you got a series of questions that asked you whether you strongly agreed, somewhat agreed, neutral, somewhat disagreed or strongly disagreed or didn't know how Chevrolet made you feel related to these questions. Is it innovative? Does it enhance my memories? Does it share my values? Is it trustworthy? Is it high quality? Does it make the world a better place? Is it inspirational? Is it important to my day-to-day life? And does it have the best interest of my family and me at heart? That's a that's a lot for Chevrolet to live up to, wow. right? I mean, for, let's go through these questions. Does, does does Facebook have the best interest of my fam, family and me at heart? It's an interesting set of – yeah. I'm not going to editorialize. No, no, but it's a, it's, no. The last set of questions mm-hmm. was around whether you saw gift cards for purchase mm-hmm. and whether you purchased any. So taking this whole set of sponsorship things mm-hmm. and Epcot, what's Disney going for there? We've already entered this construction phase. We have things being pulled down. Is it time to go looking for sponsors in Epcot now?
1: Still, still. I mean, yeah, you know, in, right. in fact. Anybody who's been paying attention to the news and sort of looking over the horizon to two thousand and twenty, two thousand and twenty one, and you know the talk of recession and all that, yeah. there's a lot of companies that Disney has in fact been talking with. That have suddenly gotten cold feet that are, or, you know, it's a little... Tapping oh,
0: okay. So this might be a nudge.
1: Yeah. To, to one of these things where it's to be able to go back and sort of throw this in the table, like people want right. to see you here or creating that second tier of targets to go out and, you know, to people to talk with yeah. just in case the primary
0: candidates fall through. So they could, they could take these results and say, of the companies that are sponsors in Epcot, look at how good... Mm-hmm. or how positive uh, yeah. people feel about them when they associate mm-hmm. Epcot and that company together yeah it's a it's a good selling point I, I thought that's that's what it might be the um the set of the set of questions though like is it innovative is it inspirational that might be something where they're trying to sell us a specific pavilion right mm-hmm. or a restaurant or or something like that right where is trustworthy is high quality makes the world a better place is inspirational that to me sounds like Attraction sponsorship kind of questions.
1: Absolutely. And my understanding from friends in Imagineering, there have been no less than three straight pitches to Apple in regard to the Imagination Pavilion. And in each case, we don't see the direct connection. We don't see the direct value. Yeah. We, and we've got
0: $270 billion in free cash. What, what is this going to add to us, right? Yeah. With Bob Iger
1: stepping away from the board because, you know, Apple's about to launch its own subscription streaming service. I, yeah. I don't know if we're going to see them anytime soon as a sponsor. I, but
0: I, would, I wouldn't expect it. But, uh, yeah. but I think there's plenty of other companies for which the, uh, the, the the pavilion sponsorship makes a whole lot of sense. Very I, I still think Tesla, Autotopia, in the Magic Kingdom kingdom is a no-brainer oh, like
1: absolutely the fact that it hasn't
0: been done yet it, it can't be for a lack of trying yeah, okay.
1: someone's someone's gonna close that
0: deal at some point yeah i think so and then you know spacex for uh, tomorrowland i mean come yeah. on all right jim one more uh uh reader uh email this is from jeremy who is mm-hmm. just peachy uh jeremy writes in that bob collar over at resortloop.com just announced he's hanging up his microphone and it feels like the end of an era jim I, I think we need to uh, acknowledge here Sad news. Uh, yeah. Bob's a great guy. Yeah. And the Resort Loop podcast he does with Tim Scott is a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. I've been on it a couple of times. They have a very dedicated fan base. I think we mentioned on the show, Bob and Tim and I had a, a great dinner together at Tiffin's a couple of years back. And it was really impressive to see how dedicated Bob was not only to, to Disney you know, theme parks, but also to the Resort Loop community. I am super sad to see him go. And the next time we're in Northeast Ohio. Uh, we should all go out for pizza. That's my that's my offer there. Okay. All right. So congratulations on the uh, on the run, Bob. Good luck in the future with whatever you do. And uh, Tim, you too with the uh, with the podcast. All right, folks. We're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, Jim will tell us about the history of illuminations and what the Epcot Forever show might hold for us. We'll be right back. All right. Uh, As everybody knows, if you're listening to this show on September 30th and you plan to head up to Epcot for Illuminations later today, let me apologize in advance if we see each other because Illuminations is my favorite nighttime spectacular. And I thought I was ready to see it retired. But over the last couple days, as I've headed to Epcot to catch the last few shows, I realized I wasn't as ready emotionally as I thought. So, Jim, the idea that I'll have to get to Epcot early for a good spot coupled with La Cava del Tequila opening at 11 a.m., coupled with the last Illuminations is probably not going to be a good combination for me. If you see me and I am a tear and tequila-soaked mess when we see each other, I am so very sorry. With that said, with that PSA uh, <laughs> done, Jim, history of Illuminations. Bring it on. What's always
1: fascinating about the Illuminations is just the sheer ambition of yep. what Disney did. And you got to remember, it was a, actually a three-part thing. We're 18 months out now, 15 months out now from the launch of the 50th anniversary, where just like with the Millennium Celebration, Disney made the decision, we're going to base this at Epcot.
0: Yeah, once-in-a-lifetime thing. Yep.
1: Yeah. And so we had the World place built with the Millennium Village. We had the Tapestry of Nations Parade. And then, and then to finish everything out... We had this amazing Illuminations Reflections of Earth show, and Disney had never, ever done a show on this scale before. I mean, there was an Illuminations preceding Reflections of Earth that debuted back in January of 88, and that was in in turn a follow-up to an earlier Epcot World Showcase Lagoon show, Laser Phonic Fantasy. Yeah, they share the name, <laughs>
0: no, but <laughs> little ill. So was it, wasn't one of them, I mean, one of them was classical music, right? Because it had... Oh, um, yeah, yeah. It had uh, Ode to Joy, Beethoven's Ninth. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was my favorite part of that particular thing. But but they went in a different direction for Illuminations, right? Well, they
1: did, and, but people, especially for Reflections of Earth, I mean, kind of in the tradition of uh, the American Adventure, where they were multiple different pitches as yes, they tried to settle on a particular show to do in the United States Pavilion at World Showcase. There have been multiple pitches for a Millennium Celebration Lagoon show. And, and in fact, poor Don Dorsey is on the plane flying out from Florida to California to make yet another pitch. And only on the plane, you know, in fact... I, I think, <laughs> Among Us, Jim doesn't finish our presentation on the plane to the meeting. (laughs) I don't know what it is about being trapped in that veal box where you know you just have the tray down, disconnected from
0: everything. You can focus.
1: There's no distractions. Yeah, but Don comes up with the concept for this sort of three act show. Now, mind you, there's a lot of hardware involved. I mean, if you think about the 19 torches, and by the way, the 19 torches stand for the 19 centuries that came before the millennium. There's significance to everything in this land. But again, he has a notion that this clicks into place with the Millennium Village and the Tapestry of Nation Parade. But in the kind of classic Disney sense, this show was only supposed to run For 18 months, and with the understanding that they had an option for it to to run an additional 18 months. But again, a total of 36 months, three years, and out. 19 years this thing has been running. Meanwhile, Tap of Nations Parade, that runs from September of 99 through 2001.
0: A classic. A classic. Uh,
1: All right. Gets renamed or or slightly, you know, retooled as a tapestry of dreams. But again, that's gone by March That was a little
0: heavy-handed because it it was like there's a section in that soundtrack where they go something like, you know, the greatest dreamer of all, Walt Disney. Hmm. Guys, everybody knows it. You don't have to say it, right? That was actually sort of a backfill
1: from the 100 Years of Magic thing from promotion from 2001. You, You have to understand with it. A giant corporation and you have these these broad initiatives, you will sometimes get stuff shoehorned in like that. Yeah. And if you think about it, World Showplace, you know, with Millennium Village and the Israeli Pavilion that you and I love so much, Len, mm. that was done, to, you know, literally January 1st, 2001. That shuts down and yeah. it's since stayed in business as World Showplace place. And it's still serving corporate functions. But anyway, we're here to talk about
0: Illuminations, Reflections of Earth. So it's a a three-act play, a classic structure, right?
1: Yes. And we start dramatically with chaos. We start with the Inferno Barge, which uh, this Mm. thousand-pound thing that's sitting in the middle of the lagoon that suddenly – burst into flames and how far away are, are, you know, this thing is is hundreds hundreds of feet feet away. Yeah. Yeah. But you can still feel that wave of flame hit you the wall of heat. And that's because when this thing goes off, they're dumping over 300 gallons of propane, 37 different nozzles shooting balls of flame, 40 and 50 feet in the air. And yeah, I mean, you can't help, uh, you know, but feel that. That coupled with the sky goes crazy with fireworks from 34 different locations around the lagoon. We've got 2,800 shells lobbed into the air. Do you remember when we did that event, land where we, they, they had the dessert party? Uh, we were right down by the water for, for a Oh, con, yeah,
0: yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: And I, I remember, you know, it has illuminations and reflections versus going off, and and a, a cardboard tube from the airlock shelves landed, what, a couple of feet away from her table. So it's like, oh, a souvenir.
0: <laughs> Take this on with you. Can't bring this on the airplane. No, no, no.
1: So anyway, uh, it's now act two. It's time for order. And order. all of the torches around World Showcase Lagoon which, again, one of my favorite moments out of the show. And we now have the Earth globe float into view. And and so the whole conceit here is we've seen the chaos that formed the Earth. And now the, as the lava cools and the water rises up, the globe turns blue and we see the continents form. And, you know, we see these little laser lights blink on and we watch the map as we know it today coalesces. And the Earth globe is this 350-ton thing that floats like a skiff. The globe itself, on it is 28 feet in diameter, sits atop this 10 foot tall pedestal, and you've got these video screens that wrap around it that are shaped like the seven continents. Yep. This is actually one of the components of the show that makes it so rewatchable, because when yep. you you watch as the globe spins and you watch those, there's a 300 different images that are blasted out through those screens. And. Yep. You see something different every show. The weird thing is, we're talking 1999 technology, Len. So, what you're looking at there, that's not a flat screen or anything like that. That's 15,000 LEDs firing that, that create is it that really- imagery. And six, computer processors. In fact, I love the fact that, that this is how old this attraction is, Lynn. Computer processors, not a laptop, not a server, Network, right. probably the size of a piano somewhere. And now we get to Act 3, the torches relight around the, the lagoon, the globe opens up, and the giant Unity torch, uh the flame kicks on. By the mm-hmm. way, that's our 20th torch, Lynn. So that's for the 20th century, which is starting the millennium. Ah, Oh, makes sense. Okay. So now we have our last burst of fireworks and the wonderful anthem we go on. There's a reason that this show has lasted as long as it has as Tapestry of Nations, Tapestry of Dreams, and the Millennium Village, you know, just have, have faded in the background. It's just this is a good, solid piece of entertainment from wherever you stand on the look, you know, around World Showcase Lagoon. It's expensive. Not sure what the price tag is today, but when this show started back in September of 1999, mm-hmm. each show cost $25,000, and it took really? a, a team of 40 people each night to present it. It's a dangerous show to present. Do you remember you know, the stories back in September of 2005 when they had a, a firework, a shell? Oh,
0: right, yeah. A shell got stuck, yeah.
1: Yeah, the Inferno Barge was so badly damaged by what happened during this show, it, it was pulled out of Illumination's Reflections of Earth. They didn't; they weren't able to bring the Inferno Barge back into service until February of 2006. And even then, to get around whether or not this sort of fireworks accident would happen again, they, they pulled the air launch off the thing. If they don't use all of the propane in the Inferno Barge for yeah. the show, there's always this interesting moment after Epcot is closed for the night, you've <laughs> walked out the, the international gateway, or you're you in your car in the parking lot. <laughs> Boom! <line. laughs> yeah. Like, what the
0: hell was that? There, there have been times where I where, no there have been times where literally I'm I'm going back to the boardwalk yep. and walking over the bridge and you mm-hmm. see the light mm-hmm. from the discharge go off, and you're like, what was that? Because it's so it's, it's pretty bright when it happens.
1: Oh, no, absolutely. And, and suddenly you're like, am I missing a Roland Emmerich <laughs> film?
0: Did is is anyone else see? What, uh, everything's fine. Let's just keep walking.
1: I always find that night, if that if that happens, I'm back in my hotel room and I put on the local news. And it's like, oh, there's got to be something about the explosion that something, happened.
0: Something about what happened at Epcot. Yeah, and no, that,
1: that is an everyday thing there. So, Or, you know, yeah. not, not everything. They think, you know, there's a lot of shows when they... They gauge the propane just right, but from the sheer scale of it and the fact that brilliant use of music, brilliant use of of let's,
0: let's talk about the music for a second because that's my I think my favorite part of the show. I like the the thing I like a couple of things about the show. One, no Disney characters, and mm-hmm. it, and and that they tried to entertain adults mm-hmm. in Epcot without Disney characters. A plus effort for that. Um, but the the soundtrack is amazing. So this is uh, Gavin Greenaway, yeah. uh, during the the composer for it used a 70-piece orchestra, 30-voice chorus. It is a classic. Everyone knows the music if they hear it. Not only is is it known to Disney theme park fans, though, Jim, but Mm. it's been used in lots of places other than theme parks. So ABC News used it for uh, election coverage in 2000 yes. and 2004. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, the National Scout Jamboree mm-hmm. used it. Parts of We Go On. Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania used parts of it for its 250th anniversary celebration. And ABCA used it again. I guess but they must have the rights to it. That's why they're using it so much for the inauguration of Barack Obama mm-hmm. in 2009. And my favorite one, mm-hmm. I was coming back from Europe, mm-hmm. going through customs in New York, And heard it being played during the Welcome to America uh, (laughs) video. And I was like, I'm looking around like, does anyone else know what this (laughs) is but me? Because I'm having a moment here coming back into this country. Yeah, it was fantastic. Great, great music. I listen to it constantly. I think that uh, the We Go On section afterwards and then Promise. Hmm. Um, I actually have an entire interpretive dance <laughs> to promise that I that I do for close friends every <sighs> once in a while. I may it may maybe displaying it tonight, but fantastic fantastic music. Super excited to see you know. Look like at very excited to see it go. But Jim, let's talk a little bit about Epcot Forever. Well, um, I did I do have some test footage of it mm-hmm. uh, that a uh, a listener was able to record for us. It looks like Jim are there drones or kites or something flying around like like. With there are definitely kites. In fact, kites with, with fireworks, though, streaming at the back, like yeah, kites of flame.
1: Okay, mm-hmm. and there was the daytime lagoon show where that they made use of the kites, and so in a weird sort of way, it is. It's a throwback all the way to early 1980s Epcot. The sort of creative framework for the show was it's Epcot from eighty two to eighty four. It's literally we want to celebrate the EPC version of Epcot that existed before Michael Eisner walked in the door. Really?
0: Eighty two to eighty four? Yeah.
1: So it's it's all of the classic music from that era. This is nostalgia.
0: It's manufactured nostalgia, right? They're doing yeah. it they're doing it to make money.
1: Yeah. And that coupled with that if you're really, really, really paying attention here, this is a fond, but official goodbye to that version of Epcot. Oh, you're killing me, Hill. You're killing me. I'm, I'm sorry. You know, the, the fact that you just mentioned the fact of what you love about Reflections of Earth is it's a show
0: for adults and there are no Disney characters. And no Disney characters. And that's not what Harmonious is going to be. I, I get it. I understand it.
1: As I understand it. As you're standing there looking into World Showcase Lagoon, there will be Disney employees standing behind you shoving Disney characters into any available orifice. You will have them in front of you. You will have them behind you. You will have them with the guy over you. This is a Bob Chapek, you know, when talking about reinventing Epcot was more relevant, more Disney. And that's what's coming. So go, Len, enjoy Epcot forever uh, because when this show wraps, and again, don't believe the hype, folks, you know, that that this show is not ending in the spring of, of 2020. It's going to be extended this summer. But, you know, when the show goes, when harmonious comes, we've got the brand new this is gonna you know, your taste of the the brand new Epcot, where it's all about just giving folks what they want when they vacation
0: at Walt Disney World, and that's more characters. who Who are these folks, Jim? <sighs> no, no, no. It's fine. It's fine. The thing that bothers me about Harmonious, number one, is the name. Because when I hear it, I immediately think of things that sound like that. And the first thing that comes to mind is felonious, <laughs> And then the second thing is Thelonious, as in Thelonious Monk. And neither of those things is what Disney wants me to compare this show to. I, I guarantee it. Mm. So maybe there'll be a name change on there, we'll see what happens. Okay, But anyway, let's point out, Disney is live-streaming the debut mm-hmm. of Epcot Forever on October 1st. That's tomorrow. Yep. If you're listening to the show on Monday, uh, I am trying to remain spoiler-free, even though what Jim said. Uh, I did hear, though, Jim, that although it's 1982-1984 to 1984 mm-hmm. for Epcot, we will here celebrate the future from the Millennium uh, Celebration in it, which is one of the the great upbeat epcot oh, no, no, so no, no, no time no. so if they work that in super
1: excited too they do want a piece of connective tissue to yeah, reflections yeah. but i'm i'm excited to see it i have high hopes for it too disney entertainment has definitely stepped up their game but there is an agenda this time around and so just if you enjoy Old Epcot, you're going to love this show. But just be aware that there's a reason we're celebrating Old Epcot, because it's
0: going away. That's fine. Uh, we'll see what uh, we'll see what happens with uh, Epcot forever. And who knows? I mean, leadership changes in the Disney company all the time. This is true. Who knows? This who, is true. In who fact- knows what happens in a couple of years? All right, folks. That's going to do it for the Disney Dish show today. As Aaron plays us out to Illuminations. Well, I'm getting choked up. As Aaron plays us out to Illuminations, please head on over to DisneyDish.Bandcamp.com where you'll find exclusive shows never heard before on iTunes. And stay tuned after the show and the music for an important message. We're produced fabulously by Aaron Adams, who's showcasing his Zen gardening skills at this weekend's Oklahoma City Waterfall Festival 2019, which is somehow located in Moore, Oklahoma. Uh, Maybe tornadoes picked it up and moved it. Who knows. In any event, please go onto iTunes and rate our show and tell us what you'd like to hear next. For Jim, this is Len. We will see you on the next show. This commercial break is brought to you by some old podcast with a bunch of people you've probably never heard of. Our good friend, Mike Scabetta, longtime cast member at Disney's Boardwalk Resort, is retiring this week.
2: Has Yeah, but has anyone actually seen him work? If he retires, how how will
0: he even know the
2: difference? You, you, you know, you may remember Mike from his hits, Calm Down, Scabetta, and your boneheads were wrong on the last show. Anyway, <laughs> I'd like to say... Congratulations to Mike on his retirement. Has anyone even asked Jeanette what she
0: thinks about him retiring? (laughs) I'm not going to say I once jumped off the Epcot Bridge onto a (laughs) boat Skibetta was piloting. I'm not going to say I didn't. (laughs) Anyway, I would like to say congratulations to Mike on his retirement. He's always been a great friend of the show. More importantly, a valued cast member who really did his best to make sure guests had the perfect Disney vacation. He
2: really did. He really did. I second that, Mike. Congratulations. Thank you for the
1: Great fun we had, especially one more Disney day. I'll always remember that night.
2: We had a couple of memories with Mike. Uh, me and Annette were on um, the Breathless out of the, no, out of the Yacht and Beach Club back in the day. But I, I first met Mike in 1996. Well, I knew him before that, but I actually f- physically met him in '96. We were part of the Prodigy. Group on uh, online prodigy, yeah, wow. and he was known. We all had um, Disney names when we were in the prodigy group, and he was crazy Hakim from oh, Aladdin. Really? That was his. That was his name. I was I was EO from Captain EO, and he was crazy Hakim, and that's how we knew him. But I first met him, um, and we all went to the uh, to uh, Ohana and had a great time. And then years later, when we started doing the podcast, I met him up with him again, and he had no clue who I was.
0: <laughs> oh my God, that's funny! Wow. But really, he was great with guests. Yes, really. yes. It was, it was fantastic. It was just us. Absolutely. It was just us that he didn't like. It was oh, just. God. He just didn't really, you know, whatever.
2: <laughs> but for guests, yeah, fantastic. It was funny because whenever he would correct us on the show, that's where the calm down Skabetta came because he would always be yelling. and You can hear <laughs> down, him yelling, Skibeta.
0: calm down Skabetta. Calm down Skibetta. There was a while where he would call me like on Monday after every – when every show dropped and be like <laughs> – Here's a list of the things that you got wrong <laughs> on the last show. <laughs> and my grade is a C+. Plus. Uh, thanks, uh, Skibeta. <laughs> I actually put calm down Skibeta in the unofficial guide once. <laughs> That's awesome. Honestly, God. Honestly, God. Anyway, Mike, congratulations on your retirement. Yes. Again, for the years and years of friendship, we look forward to uh, many more years of friendship in your retirement, in your golden years, as it were.
2: Yes. Yes. Enjoy, Mike. All the best. You deserve it.